When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Deconstructionist listeners. My name is Clay Kirchenbauer, and I'm a singer-songwriter from Northern Ohio. You may have heard my work on this podcast in episode 24 with Deb Harzma and on episode 41 with Alexander Shia through my band, The Undeserving. Over the past few years, I've gone on my own path of deconstruction, and as songwriters do, I wrote some songs about it, many of which were inspired by things I learned on this very podcast. John and Adam have been kind enough to allow me to share with you my crowdsourcing campaign for this project, tentatively titled Wanderer. It aims to tell stories of people on their journeys through faith and doubt, and hopefully to connect with people on a deeply personal level. If you would like to help get this project off the ground, go to gofundme.com slash claykmusic. Any donation would be deeply, deeply appreciated. And most of all, keep deconstructing. chance on the Roe Riverside Our salt fire danced as our tea leaves dried She hatched our plans in the Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. I'm excited about this one. I know, man. This is really... God, we've been sitting on this like a like a egg ready to be hatched. It's, it's just... Be- yeah. We've had it for a while. It's too long. <laughs> too long. It's, it's so good. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And uh, thanks for joining us today, everybody. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And we have got a, a fellow kind of deconstructionist, reconstructionist. Kind of the, one of the originals. One of the originals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Revolution Church. and Good friend of Pete Rollins. Doctor. Dr. Pete Rollins. Do- Dr. Rollins. Yeah. Um, Man, this is this is just a great conversation. Uh, who do we got here, John? We got we got the Jay Baker, the son of uh, famous televangelist Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. But on his own accord, Jay has like pioneered quite the career of his own. Oh my gosh, yeah! Revolution Church, um, and really just kind of um, what I think is cool is kind of changing the way that that you look at church the way you do church. He did a lot of like uh, church and pubs and stuff like that mm-hmm. before it was like cool to like build coffee shops, like in yeah. every church and right. make it look like a cafe. You know, he was really kind of like, maybe they saying, won't like, know it's a church. Yeah. They'll he just was... come in here for coffee. <laughs> Surprise. Um, no, but he, yeah, he was really like, he saw this need early on and he's not, I mean, he's barely older than we are. But he saw this this need years ago to say, like, maybe we need to take a different approach to the way we do church and kind of meet the people. Where they are? Yeah. 
Crazy. Crazy. You know what? I think Jesus might have done that. No. No, you're right. That's that's <laughs> the that's, Bible's all about how Jesus just chill, chilled chilled out in church all day. <laughs> right? When on youth conferences. In and, his office. Yeah. <laughs> with his feet up on the desk. <laughs> he didn't wear shoes. It's fine. No way. <laughs> no way. Oh man. But yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. He uh he, he was a he was a really good guy and, and and a lot of fun and and we spent a good time with him just uh, talking to him about his his kind of his um, outlooks on life and, and kind of how his faith has evolved and and how um, he's kind of getting into seminary as well right now. Yep. I mean, you know, as you do, you write a bunch of books first, you know, and then you're like, "No, nah, I'll go to school now." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's like. I want to write a bunch of books. <laughs> <laughs> They're good books too, man. Really good. No, you know, the thing I like about Jay is where a lot of people just go to school right away and they fill their head with a whole bunch of just theories and doctrines and ideas and bibliographies and just, you know, stack, you know, idea upon idea upon idea. Jay's got this incredible story that he lived out and got to a place where he started to really understand himself and he started to understand uh, how much he loved people. And how much, um, you know, even after all the crap he's been through, it's just, you know, spirituality and, and Jesus and church, we're still somehow going to be a part of that and figuring all that out. And man, that's the mess that I want to hear more about. Yeah. Like that's the kind, that's why I like Jay. That's why I, he's so trustworthy. He's, he loves people. He's so humble. And um, how can you not just want to hear what a guy like that has to say? He's yeah. not standing at a platform saying, yeah, everybody come listen to me. You know, he's just living it out, man. He's just yeah. literally on the, on the ground, living it out, struggling, wrestling, figuring it out. And, and I love him for that. I'm, I'm, big, I'm a big Jay Faker, Baker fan for yeah. that reason. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I connect to him, I think, because, you know, as a pastor's kid, you know, like you see, unfortunately, you know, any pastor's kid can attest to, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, behind, you know, behind the church and the politics and all that stuff that goes into it. So it's amazing that any of us ended up back in church. Tell me know? about it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for him to be able to take a story, his story and, and turn it around and use it to, to help other people, I think is just tremendous. So me too, me too. So let's let him do his thing. Yeah. We'll try to get out of the way. <laughs> I often get in the way. <laughs> well, it's too fun, man. It's too much fun. I'm always having too much fun. <laughs> Let's have some fun right now with Jay. Without further ado, Jay, Jay, Freakin', Freakin', Baker, Baker. Parasol shade, your thumb on my page at my tender age, EastEnders wise. Then hidden in the box thorn blind. We grew old as the foxtail pine, sheep in the fold, gilding our gold, sipping our milk and water lies. She packed our bags some arbitrary time. Jay freaking Baker, um, we've been looking forward to having you on this show pretty much ever since we started this show, and it only took us like a full calendar year to actually make this happen. So hello and thank you. <laughs> For be hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. I'm surprised. <laughs> I figured Pete Rollins would ruin my chances of ever being on the show. He told us not to talk to you, but yeah. yeah. But but he, he uses all my material. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did follow the instructions that you sent in order to get you on the show, which was to to build a pyre, 
made of Pete Rollins books and just light them on fire. Yep. So well, that's, yeah. like, hey, that's, that's how it works. Yep. <laughs> yep. So you're Pete's ghostwriter. I knew it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all stuff that I wrote in high school. You know? <laughs> oh, Obviously. And it's just really G.I. Joe adult fiction. Yeah. A lot of Scooby, a lot of Scooby Doo, with a little He Man mixed in. So, you know, that's where the magic comes from. And a dash of Thundercats. Yeah, a dash of Thundercats. <laughs> now, now you're speaking my language. Here we go. Uh, we're all about the same age. That makes sense to only us and yeah. probably about half our listeners. What was the uh, What was the chick Thundercat like? T- Tigra or t- Tigra? Uh, sounds right. That sounds right. Tigra. It was Tigra. I'm not sure though because He Man had like She-Ra. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Tiger was pretty foxy, as I recall, from a cartoon perspective. Wow. <laughs> yeah, from an adolescent serious viewpoint. impression going back. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I stand by that man. I was, I, was, I was a kid and I didn't know any better. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> None of us did. It's okay. <laughs> well, uh, one of the questions we like to start with is is uh, kind of your background and uh, kind of your upbringing. Uh, and one of the interesting things I think about you is that you had a very unique upbringing. Um, I, I myself am also a pastor's kid, and uh, obviously there are unique uh, things that come along with with being a pastor's kid. And I think I think it's safe to say it definitely affects your your spiritual journey, and definitely I, I think to a large degree makes you question things a little bit more mm-hmm. than maybe the average Joe. Uh, but you had a very very unique uh, upbringing. Not only were you a pastor's kid, but your parents were some of the biggest personalities on TV. So I wonder if you could kind of start there and tell us a little bit about how that affected your upbringing and how it got you into the work you're in today. Uh, It seems like a million years ago. Um, My parents had the largest, one of the largest television networks in the world. So it wasn't just Christian, but just television, because not a lot of people had satellites and my parents had a satellite network, man. Um, Yeah. That's how you did it back then. And, um, they were on every home in America. Uh, I had to have bodyguards. My dad was kind of, uh, oh, he's a workaholic. He's still alive. He's a workaholic, and, you know, he kind of had the American dream, kind of like a Walt Disney thing where mm-hmm. he wanted to build a huge thing for God and felt like if he made this huge ministry and this huge facility where, you know, they had a water park and hotels and you know, there's a lot of different entertainment things. Um, you know, he felt like that's what he was called to do. And, uh, it was the eighties, seventies and eighties. And the two just kind of worked out together and it became this massive thing. Yeah. Um, it was strange cause I had to have bodyguards and, you know, there were celebrities always on my parents' show even, you know, so it was weird because religion wasn't as taboo, I guess, in the eighties as it would be seen now if you were an actor going on Christian TV. You didn't have to actually give up your career back then. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, or do bad movies. Um, <laughs> I mean, not that they were people, you know, it was mostly television actors, but anyway. Um, it was uh, it was surreal, and then in 1987, my come out that my dad had an affair seven years earlier, and... Uh, he trusted a pastor to basically take over his church and restore him. And the pastor decided that he didn't deserve to be restored. And it was a huge mess. Uh, it was Jerry Falwell who we, we trusted, uh, uh, probably that should have been a no brainer for him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, seriously. Seriously. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a huge American scandal, mm. you know, it was on every television <clears throat> network. It was Saturday night live skits. It was, 
you know, late night television fodder, you know, I mean, it was everywhere. Even preachers and pastors were using my parents as examples. Sometimes I would even be in those churches and they wouldn't even, you know, know it. And that was really weird as a kid. So and, weird. Uh, well, a couple of years later, my dad went to prison. Um, but that all happened when I was 11. My dad went to prison about around the time I was 12, 13 and didn't get out till I was about 18. But so, yeah, it was, that was really surreal to grow up then with my father in prison and my mother was, you know, also very famous. Um, you know, but also just going to, you know, public high school. I tried Christian high school, but it was, it was too tough. Uh, the teachers were just as mean, if not meaner than the kids. Man. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was, I mean, like I said, that seems like a million years ago. I'm 40 years old now. So, I mean, it, it really does seem like a long time ago. Sometimes I even forget that that ever happened. Yeah, man, man. So, so obviously that, yeah. that had quite, quite the effect on your, on your childhood. All of a sudden your dad is no longer around. Um, and you know, it, it just, it's striking to me how quickly, uh, how, what a different standard I think that we hold, you know, uh, almost like Christian celebrities to, or, yeah. or, or leaders, uh, within, within <laughs> church. It's this different standard where if, if they make a human mistake, how quickly people turn on them, and everything just comes falling apart because clearly this is not your parents weren't the first, you know, uh, leaders of a church to, to go through a scandal. Um, yeah. we see it all the time. All these mega churches across the United States, uh, I mean, it's more, more, more often than, than not, you know, we, we see things come out and immediately, you know, people turn on them and, and that's, you know, almost a career killer. Yeah. So, it's, it's really strange. It's, uh, Sometimes I wonder, though, if it's, you know, the pastors sometimes create such a impossible standard and evangelicals, you know, their theology is kind of a mod podge of so many different things. And that is very conservative. And they set up these impossible standards so no one can live up to them. And, you know, so when they make the mistake, of course, they get thrown under the bus because they've been told in other people to throw other people under the bus. I mean, but I mean, I don't feel like my family, my parents did a lot of the judging stuff. I felt like they were very restorative people, but they, you know, trusted people who threw other people under the bus. And so it's just, it happened and, um, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's weird because my dad's back on TV now and he's very conservative and evangelical and, uh, he was very evangelical back then, but he wasn't as conservative. So it's. I mean, just life is really strange. I, life I, I, is so bizarre, man. Yeah, I don't know how to, you know, it's hard to explain. I don't know. Yeah. We're going to try because this is a radio <laughs> Yeah. We're, we're just going to take a couple minutes uh, and just think, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, nice so, silence. So, yeah. so be, I mean, you're. You're now an author. You have a body of work. You've written lots of books talking about a lot of this stuff. Can For people that maybe aren't familiar with some of your work, and we hope they get familiar, um, you're one of those voices that just comes in uh, like a good friend and, just, and, and helps people process a lot of this stuff because of what you've had to go through. How did, if you could kind of, you know, spiritually, autobiographically walk us through a little bit of how that made you then look at, obviously this is a podcast about deconstruction, so yeah. how does that then make you look at God and church and faith and community and blah, blah, blah. Like what, if you could kind of put that journey into a little, like some of the things that came out of that, where, where, 
what it, well, what, what happened? Well, so much of it too is being surrounded by similar type of Christians, even when it was happening. And I felt like Christianity, like God was a very temperamental God, hmm. um, completely different than what I would even think God now. Um, but was a mean, angry man in the sky, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. keeping uh, d- tally on my sins and everybody else's sins. And um, I thought that there was something wrong with me because uh, I thought from what I heard preached, people could live almost perfect lives, if not perfect lives. Totally. Right. Yeah. And so I couldn't do it. And I thought, well, man, there must be something wrong with me. I keep screwing up. Mm. And, um, you know, I, 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 I see a psychiatrist to this day. You know, I suffer from mental health issues. And I really feel like a lot of it came from that, like, just oppression and brainwashing of being perfect. And, you know, also at a time when my parents were on television, the expectations that even were around that. Um, but, yeah, I just thought God hated me. So I basically eventually gave up. But it, it happened through, like, I tried to, when my dad got out of prison, we didn't get along very well. He sent me to Arizona to be a part of this thing called Master's Commission, which is like this Christian uh, youth leaders group. I don't even know how to explain it. Wow. Homeless and you do human videos and and you do this type of thing. And it didn't really work out for me, but I started Revolution with three other people somehow. I started church and um, like punk rock kids. And... um, this was 20 something years ago and, um, maybe 22 years ago. Um, but even then I felt like I couldn't live up to these expectations that were put on me by Christians around me and other Christians. And I thought it was about how I lived my life and it was about a moral principles and, uh, pleasing God. And so I just gave up. I quit the ministry and went and got a job at the gap <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, had blue hair <laughs> and was trying to get sober and, uh, was just kind of done with the whole thing. And, uh, a friend of mine started telling me about grace and tar- started telling me about Martin Luther. And I had no idea. I mean, I'd heard of Lutherans before, but I had no idea who Martin Luther was. Yeah. Yeah. And he pointed to books like Galatians and Ephesians and Romans. And I started reading about grace and I was really shocked by it because I had felt that I had never been told about it. Man. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, the amazing grace was the only thing I'd ever heard about grace was the song. Yeah. So all of a sudden it was like this, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, all fall short, you know, all of a sudden these like you're saved by grace, not by works, you know, even this stuff is my theology has grown out of all that. It's a different place now. But at that time that was just like having shackles taken off my wrists. Oh dude, that's awesome. Um, you know, so I never got into the really crazy conservative stuff, but, but, it, but it got into my head enough to where it tortured me and it took me years to kind of break free from that. And I still find it, you know, now I'm going back to s- seminary I still find that like that struggle of even like, you know, reading Tillich and God, you know, being the ground of all being, not, um, not being, not a being. Right. And, 
like going like, are you sure this isn't a somatics, you know, or there's something, you know I mean? Even just those little things like that of like God having to be like something. Yeah. Right. Um, because I was raised in a certain way to think about God and, and, and hear about God. So here sure. I'm like, Oh, well, there's no hell, but God's still got to be something. Right. You know? And, um, you know, Pete Rollins, I mean, really did do a huge shakeup in my life. Uh, him and I'd say my, uh, ex co-pastor who's now doing, uh, doing his own thing, Reverend Vince Anderson out in New York. Those two guys really challenged me even more so. But I mean, uh, my, my biggest influence at the, before that were like Brendan Manning. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, and then I read Brian McLaren oh, yeah. and, um, Henry Nowen. And, you know, all these guys were like, and all of a sudden people started saying, Oh, you're an emergent guy. And I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't right. know what emergent meant. I didn't know what postmodern meant. I didn't know, but I know I all of a sudden I was talking about grace and people were telling me that that's what I was. <laughs> so, you know, I knew names like Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and things like that, but I never had met the guys, you know, but I was told that that was my freaking heretics, group. man. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. yeah. All of them. I, I didn't dirty, know. Dirty heretics. Very dirty heretics. You know? I mean, it was basically guys who were rebelling from a church structure. I mean, pretty much the white church structure that allowed no questioning. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden these guys were like, we're stuck in this really conservative, uh, middle-class evangelical, very white controlling world. Right. And we were going, why? And they were going, well, don't ask why. You're not allowed to ask that. (laughs) So that kind of, you know, I, I realized that that's what was happening now that I look, you know, looking back, I see that that's what was happening. Um, I think maybe that too is why there was not as much diversity as we would have liked to seen in the emerging church at the time. Mm. But anyway, that yeah. probably make people mad, but that's okay. <laughs> it's just what I saw. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the journey um, was that. And then, I mean, yeah, it's just been a long journey, man. It's been 20 some odd years. So, um, but as people like Brian McLaren kept growing. And then all of a sudden when I met Pete, Pete was like, Oh, you should read John Caputo. Oh, you should read Paul Tillich. And I remember him saying, you're going to, you know, I don't know if you're going to like Tillich as much, you know? And all of a sudden I was like in love with Paul Tillich. Yeah. <laughs> even though I did not understand what I was reading at all. I thought I did. I, I like, feel oh, you. Yeah, this stuff's amazing. I feel you, know? you man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm starting to understand Tillich a little bit more. It's funny. Cause I mean, it's, Still really, you know, these guys are hard to understand, but they're asked, you know, they were dealing with questions, you know, 50, 60 years ago that now are coming up all the time. I mean, that's why you guys are doing a deconstruction podcast. That's why you see here, you know, all these questions have become such big, you know, big questions. And for me, I felt a little bit more comfortable when it was like, does God really love me? And I could be like, yes. You know, now it's like, where is God? Does God exist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do we talk oh, about no. these things? Yeah. yeah. So it's now it's like, you know, I just go, oh, I guess we'll listen to Pete, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, listen to Pete and come away feeling like you don't know anything anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then you can talk to me and you'll think like you're like, oh, comfortable. I'm the poor man's Rollins. I can't get over Pete. the part in your story where somebody, I don't know if you said it was at the gap, but like, here you are like the most famous preacher's kid, like in the known world. Right. 
and somebody's evangelizing you. Oh yeah, I can't get over the yeah. irony of that, man. That is as bananas. A kid, you already you you. By transfer, you you get all the same information that your dad has, right? Isn't Who that the way it works? evangelizes the pastor's kid? Yeah, you know all the Bible verses by memory, right? We got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> well, see, I was dyslexic, so I didn't know all the. I always lost all the memory verse oh, things. I knew I, none I, of I, it. I am dyslexic. <laughs> so that even makes it worse. Um, but uh, I'm a depressed, introverted dyslexic. Um, and you are but, loved. That's right. Yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but it was one of those Church of Christ guys, but it was the, the Church of Christ that, like, met in hotels and stuff. It wasn't, like, the big one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were calling me all the time, telling me, you know, I needed to be saved in their church. And But I, I could usually tell them what they were at a certain point. I, oh, you're Church of Christ. Oh, you're this, 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 that, you know? Yeah. Because um, I remember, like, a year later that happened again, and I was at a movie theater. And then I started having, like, this theological discussion with this guy, and I— I don't know. Theology became, I became obsessed with theology. It's funny is that being in just, I've only taken three or four classes in seminary, but I've owned every single book when they go, Oh, here's the book list. You know, cause I just started going and buying books. Originally I would just start going to the family Christian bookstore and just buy everything I'd get my hands on. And then I would go to the used bookstore and get everything I'd get my hands on. Even if I didn't know what it was and, you know, just so mostly self-taught stuff, you know, yeah. And it's weird because they'll say, like, do you have this book? And I'll be like, that sounds familiar. You know, <laughs> and I honestly have not had to buy one book yet. Um, Dude, that's is, amazing. Well, that's so funny. You're, yeah. in good, you're in good company, man. That's, yeah. that's kind of how we roll. Yeah. Yep. I see you guys get a lot of books. <laughs> that's, that's Adam's bookshelf. It's yeah. just a secret passage, actually. None of those are real. <laughs> yeah, you just have to know which one to pull, and then the door opens up to my, to my whiskey cabinet. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're the real. Where the real knowledge can be found. Yeah, that's that's the real gold. Yeah. Jack Daniels tried to kill me, so. Um, but yeah, my uh, I I yeah, my wife just made me sell a bunch of my books. It was the house was starting to look a little like a library. Uh, yeah, like like a poorly put together library, you know. See, like I a used bookstore where the manager just gave up. <laughs> you, awesome. you probably at least have bookshelves though. I'm like I'm like Pete who just has stacks of books in the background. <laughs> which I love yeah, and I hope he never changes that. <laughs> well, yeah, one time there were a lot of he had a lot of bookshelves and then all of a sudden he just kept going into smaller places and <laughs> I just want to know what happens when he needs one from the bottom. Yeah. What do you do? Well, that's elfin magic. Oh, uh... <laughs> I, I I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my know, gosh. Everybody wants his gold. That's true. That he is true. Charms. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we, we, because because you're such a close friend, we'll, we'll have to share this with you. But I made I made a Pete Rollins Halloween uh, gif that, that I'm oh, really proud of. I forgot about that. Yeah. Vampire Pete Rollins. So yeah, we'll, we'll to, send that to you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Pete Rollins is my best friend. A lot of people don't think we hate each other. I mean, honestly, on Twitter, people are like, do you guys hate each other? I'm like, no, no, it's <laughs> it's just, uh, I I guess I do really well with the Irish because that's how they show love is by, you know, you kind of give each other a hard time. and Yeah, love it. Bust each other's chops. <laughs> yeah. Taking the piss is what they call it. I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, I've, heard him, I've, I've heard him say that before. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're, so we're that's okay what with we that. We say a lot of, you know, just taking the piss, and uh, <laughs> even his mom was like, you know, 
you know, when we, when we give you our time, it means we love you. You know, Sean's like, yes, I know. <laughs> His mom is like totally just awesome. She's like totally what you would expect. Just like this sweet Irish woman that is just like, I don't know. It's hard. She's like, Oh, hello. You know, she's <laughs> so, well, at some point we gotta, we gotta get that Pete. Uh, Pete Rollins impression that you promised us. So. Yeah, you promised us a Pete you, Rollins you impression. You probably got the man. best one. Right? I used to have a really good one, but I, I haven't practiced in a while. But maybe, maybe, maybe that'll get me back back on. There you I'll go. Work on, come back on, and we can do. You could do. Is it Pete or is it Jay? <laughs> oh, perfect. For a long time, I really there was a time where I had not a lot to do in my life, and I was miserable. So I just listened to the how his voice fluctuated. Because he does that real quiet, you know, like, let's talk about the power that be. You know, he does that real quiet, like, <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about something mystical and magical, but not at all. You know, and you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> He's doing that thing again. Yeah, it is real quiet. And <laughs> and why does he keep talking about meth? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Christianity's a meth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're in big trouble. With, yeah, it's yeah. hard to. Poor guy. He's not we, here to we love Pete. He is definitely That's one of our favorite That's the only reason people. I'm doing this right now. If he was here, I would not be talking about him at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Uh, gosh. That's all we do is just text each other all day about how much we hate each other. So <laughs> That's great. Like good Irish yeah. brothers. That's right. Well, one of the things that we love about Pete and we love about you and you already mentioned is just this whole aspect that you mentioned that's kind of taking shape and form, maybe started with emergent, maybe it was before that, whatever, but like just questioning. Oh, what, what, it's gone on a long time, but yeah. Just, what does that mean to you? The questions are getting bigger, I think. In what way? Like, what does that mean to you when you, a lot of your books have to deal with questioning, you know, faith and doubt, um, yeah. searching, wrestling, struggling, <laughs> like what? That's just one title. Oh, right. Um, that's true. You're right. No, I, should, I have one book that's like 15 titles. And I was like, can we just set it down to like one, maybe two? And they're like, no, long titles sell. I was like, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I guess questioning came along. Well, I mean, I questioned from the beginning. I was like, did God love me? I mean, it started out with that, you know, not is there a God, but then did God love me? And then why would there be a hell? And then why would God do that? And then, okay, I don't believe in that now. Uh, what is God? You know, it goes, you know, people will tell you that um, philosophy and theology can be a slippery slope, and they're right. <laughs> it is a slippery slope, but it takes you down to a lot of questions. But like me and my dad uh, hadn't spoken and well, hadn't really hung out in quite a few years. And recently he came up for my son's first birthday. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was really, um, it was challenging, we, we, but we had a good time. And he was very graceful and very loving, even though we disagree on a ton of things theologically. Sure. I mean, that, that important things. Yeah. Um, but one of the things he told me that I thought was a, a compliment was that my theology was too, um, oh gosh, what was it? It was, I think it was too rational. Is oh, what he said. really? Hmm. I, I wasn't and, expecting you to say that. No. no. Yeah. Well, it was like, you know, it just makes it makes sense. And I guess maybe in his world theology, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Um, I wasn't expecting to hear that either. Um, but 
it's because we would, you know, I'd say, well, Dad, if God did this, then you have to say God did that, and then God could do that, then God has to be able to, you know. Yeah. So it's just going down the rabbit hole um, of question after question after question, and I think that's what's happened. A lot of people have left faith. I mean, I feel like 15 years ago, you know, there was like Cornerstone, all these Christian festivals happening. A lot of young people were really involved in the church. Um, but there was a lot of people asking questions. Well, not asking questions. They were just together. And then all of a sudden, well, they started asking political questions. You know, politics came into thing. And, you know, people like David Bazan came on the scene and was singing really beautiful songs, you know, asking a lot of questions. And, and uh, so, you know, and then people were, you know, being judged left and right and, you know, being kicked out of the church, staying in the church. And, you know, it was like this big, weird thing was happening. And I think evangelicalism was just kind of peaking. And uh, a lot of people left the church and didn't want anything to do with it. A lot of, you know, I mean, I went to, I remember when I was in Seattle a couple of years ago, there was a lot of people I'd met who'd come through Mars Hill who had been really hurt by the church, you know, yeah, uh, the Mark Driscoll's church. And, you know, they didn't want anything to do with it. I had one guy come up to me and say, you know, I used to believe what you believe and I don't anymore and I'm happier than I've ever been. And I was like, wait a second, you know, I don't know what you believe, but if it had anything to do with this thing, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe any of that stuff, you know, matter of fact, you probably would have, you'd probably still think I'm a heretic, you know, <laughs> but a lot of people who are taught about treating women differently, treating gay and lesbians, uh, bisexual, transgender folks differently, uh, you know, I said women differently, you know, I mean, it was like, these are, these are non-negotiators for a lot of people and I can't blame them. And so a lot of people, rather than even questioning, just said, I'm done. Oh man. Right. And so I think that's what some of us who have stuck around have even begun more questioning. I mean, there was a lot of questioning in, uh, the emergent church, but those were different questions. And then sometimes they were often answered with questions, mm-hmm. you know, and I think now theology or philosophy and the, those two are coming together. There are people looking for answers, you know, some sort of answers or some sort of, uh, at least in a hypothesis of, of some sort. So, you know, some educated guess that is out there. And uh, so it's, it's, things have changed so much, you know. It's, uh, it's tough even knowing what to talk about anymore. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I heard you say in, in another interview that I thought was really interesting is you brought up Cornerstone. And for those of us who are, are probably a little bit older, because I, I guess it's been gone for a little while now. <laughs> it's um, gone? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, that's what happened. Yep. So, but that used to be, that used to be the festival that you would go to. And, and, uh, I I identify with a lot of the, uh, uh, I guess, I guess you would refer to them as Christian punk rock bands that, um, that I used to listen to as well. And, and you, you mentioned the fact that you used to speak at places like this. And I remember you saying that you got in trouble, uh, for, for preaching too much grace. What the heck? (laughs) Like constantly, constantly like, 
I, I mean, I would have sometimes have people want to fight me afterwards. I mean, it was this weird thing. Like I'd found out this secret and I mean, I was preaching just basic, almost basic Lutheran theology. Yeah. You know, and, um, and people would get so angry because they wanted to still have that God that was in control or that God that was angry and righteous and self-righteous. And, and then they, and because they think of holiness, like the Puritans think of holiness, like having to do with being clean rather than actual being set apart or whatever, you know, it's been turned into something else. Right. You know, I've distorted all this distorted Christianity and uh, so they would get really upset with me because I, I said one time, I'm like, you can't long to be holy. You're made holy, blah, blah. And this guy was like, come on, you know. And I found <laughs> out later, like I like kind of answered the guy, but then found out that he was the guy who booked all the speakers. Oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> that was my last time there. <laughs> but my crowds got bigger and my tents got smaller. So it was always really weird at Cornerstone because I really had kind of this like like dislike relationship with with that and it was really weird because i just went to this thing in chicago this festival and saw the, a lot of the guys from cornerstone and it was nice because none of us had anything to worry about nothing to work on no our theology didn't matter you know we were all older and and uh so it was nice to see some of those guys in that that that, that way rather than kind of like what's going to happen you know because you want to be at cornerstone because everybody's at cornerstone you know sure. you want to be at these events because everybody's at these you know i was uh, other events but as soon as i became affirming uh gay affirming all that ended so i mm. i my all that was cut off for me before it started dying so when was I that probably had a few more years anyway when was that <sighs> gosh uh early 2000s uh, wow, man. I'm trying to think the exact year, um, probably 2004, 2005, maybe, maybe earlier. I don't remember exactly, but everything stopped. The church was really peaking. We were had a staff. I had, it was actually becoming a church, which was so bizarre to me. Like, yeah, insurance and you know, we had a building, but we had a staff and we had an office and and it made literally. I was like, I don't think it's a sin to be gay, and it was as, just as though what happened to my parents. All of a sudden, it just went. It was like wow. everything was canceled. Yeah, everything, everything. I didn't speak for a year. Um, man. And then I moved to New York, which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it was like living in a different world. But I was in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. Oh. I just watched the church just dwindle. Wow. You know? And then there were other revolutions who didn't necessarily agree with me. There was a few of us, and that was tough on them Man. because I was seen as this figurehead. And, um, and that, you know— didn't work very well, but we tried it, you know, when you try to agree to disagree on something that important. Sure, man. Yeah, yeah I get that. That well. And, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of people asking me that, well, can we do this? Can't we do this? I'm like, well, I'll tell you what I've seen is that, you know, it doesn't work. And for me, I don't think I could do that anymore because of my conviction runs so deep. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to be a part of something where someone's not fully welcomed. 
Yeah, sure. I get that, man, for sure. Yeah, you know, so it's been really, yeah, that was a long time ago, you know, and since then I've, you know, I've been now, you know, that was, golly, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I was curious, yeah, no no less relevant today. It reminds me a little bit of, like, uh, we've had Greg Boyd on a couple times, and um, yeah. a lot of what you're saying goes back to something that has really been helpful to me. Um, I didn't really know his theological approaches before we started this podcast. He was another one of those ones where we started doing this thing and a whole bunch of people are like, man, you got to talk to Greg Boyd. He's got a lot of great perspectives and the whole like faith as a packaged unit right? versus like the concentric circles model and uh, how, how so many people have so much trouble um, dialoguing with faith or um, finding finding any peace in it at all, because it's always this package model thing. And if you question one thing, like, like the story you just gave about you yeah. know, be, becoming gay and lesbian affirming, and you know, then people are like, well, how do we relate to you? Because now <laughs> it all falls apart. Yeah. And, and I think that um, we would all do well to, to, to take a page out of Greg's book there. And it seems like you've done that, where you're able to converse with people that don't necessarily agree with you. I know John and I are trying our best to kind of do that. And uh, yeah, I don't know, just a, just an observation there that it, it, a lot yeah. of a lot of what you're saying goes back to that packaged faith versus concentric circles kind of way of looking at it. Well, then there comes a yeah. I mean, for me, it's a time of where you have to push a little bit and mm-hmm. you have to push people up past their comfort zone. Because I wouldn't have come to where I was had people not pushed me past my comfort zone or asked me tough questions. And um, I thank goodness for those people at the time may have seen like, you know, get away, get away. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to make a living and, and be a minister and, you know, and, 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 and then you go like, wait a second, this is what being a minister is. It's Man. following your convictions is living by your convictions. And, um, so yeah, I'm definitely open to conversations with folks like that. I just, I just have a hard time with folks who, who, who aren't affirming now. I mean, it, it bothers me. And uh, I'd like to have a more of a conversation with them because I'd like to to see if it's possible to change. Um, I yeah. believe it's a you know it's a very vital, important issue. It is in mm-hmm. the church, um, and it's unfortunate now with what's happened in the political system. What you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm. All right. You know, I don't know how many steps we're going to take back because it seems like every time I think I get comfortable, go, okay, it's not going to be that bad. Then like, oh, this person was added to the cabinet or this was person was added to Trump's cabinet. And so and you go, oh, you know, (laughs) I I don't want to go back. You know, I don't I don't want to go back to that, Um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see see what happens. I just. You know, I really look up, look for, look, look up to folks who are willing to take stands and say what they believe, and and not even when sometimes when they don't say exactly what I agree with. Sure, at right. least that you know where they stand. I don't like these ideas of these churches that are like, oh, everybody's welcome, and but they're not really welcome. Right. You know, that's a you know, it's it's a trap. It is a trap. I I know what you mean. So I, I don't like to see that either. Um, So transparency to me is very valuable and very important. Pitch their tents in Battle Creek on a makeshift flatbed stage With a dray-top shotgun rhino's peak and a black broad iron cage The barker sprung to action as the band began to play To introduce the new attraction who they'd picked up on the way Julian 
So, so what do you say to, to people out there right now in this time of kind of uncertainty when it comes to, you know, certain social issues? What do you, what do you say to people in regards to how, how can they, how can they maintain a, a world where we are inclusive and we are loving and, and that sort of thing? What, cause I, I know a lot of people out there just feel completely powerless to, yeah. to affect the situation, to affect the environment. What do you, what do you say to those people? Well, they're not powerless, you know, I mean, the people are what drives leaders and leadership. I think people don't realize the power they really do hold. And I tell them to speak up and read books and recommend books and, uh, be heard, you know, I mean, now with Twitter and Facebook and things like that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, unfortunately there's so much fighting and arguing and bickering with that stuff, but you can be heard. I mean, I know I was for a while, I was doing this thing, asking people if they were gay affirming, mm. you know, just basically trying to get people to be like, at least state where you're at. And, uh, simply asking questions can change people's lives. You might not be the one who's on the cover of a book or whatever the magazines or I don't know what Christians are on the cover of anymore <laughs> but, uh, or the back of, or, you know, under the, under the fold. Um, but you know, it, it's it's you may be the person who's, who does that. You know, you may be the person who witnessed to Billy Graham. Um, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, it's like there's people who go, well, what do you do with that? I mean, I remember one time I had somebody go, well, you know, I know that you. This was way back, and I was like, well, I know people don't choose to be gay. And the person goes, well, what if I chose to be? I feel like I've chosen to be. So what does that make me? And I go, ah, I don't know. And. I'm so happy that she did ask me that question and then she did push me there, you know? Oh, I get what you're and, saying. Um, yeah. So ask those questions and study and read and, you know, you can make a difference. It's, it's, people make a difference. People can change the world, you know, and, and, uh, we have to remember that. And I know it sounds maybe sentimental or trite, but it really isn't, you know, I really believe that. Um, and I don't believe you have to have some sort of, you don't have to have a book deal or you don't have to have a necessarily even have a platform, you know, people look at, you know, start podcasting or write somebody a letter, or just sit down and have coffee with somebody, you know, um, I'm inspired, you know, by a lot of the punk rock ethics too, as I grew up with as a kid, you know? And so when I think about stuff like changing the world, I think about, you know, bands like the clash and yeah, things like yeah. that and things they said and that inspired me as a kid. And, uh, you know, so I think don't underestimate yourself, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, everybody plays a role, you know, and play that role, play couldn't, that role. Well, couldn't agree more, man. We just couldn't agree more. We want people to know that. We want people to, you know, I think people are so obsessed. Something I just said recently to a, a large group of people, people are so obsessed with changing the whole world that they look to like, man, I don't have a book deal or I don't have a platform or I don't have a stage or a microphone. And it's like, no, but you do have your sphere of influence. And if you yeah. treat it like it matters and we all did that, or even a few more of us did that, yeah, oh I mean, gosh. and book yeah. deals and things like that are such a, a, a mirage. You know, they're not real. 
Mm. There's such a thing of like, oh, they must have their life together and they must have answers or they must have money or they must have this or that. You know, I'm like, man, I don't have any of that. You know, I watched my last book just tank. You know, it was like, oh, really? You know, and um, and it was the best work I'd ever done. Oh, man. You know, and so it just it's life, you know. Um, I definitely don't feel as relevant as I did five or ten years ago. You know, I don't feel like I can change the world, but I can put my son as a priority. You know, he does. I take care of my son. Uh, he has daycare Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but I take him Thursday and Friday. And I've realized, like, you know, accepting that fatherhood and accepting that that's a great, important place to be that I didn't see my parents do as much when I was, you know, sure. is, is vital and world-changing in my own life. So fame is just such an illusion, and and a lot of the times it ends ugly, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody ends up being like Keith Richards, right. you know, um, you know, even Harrison Ford's made a few crappy movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, nobody's, you know, it's, I always, I always think it's such a trap when I see people arguing about going like, Oh, you have this voice or you have this, or you have that. And it's, and I'm like, man, it's such an illusion. You know, it's such like this fake ideal that, you know, that some of us allow us ourselves to be put up on this pedestal that's not actually there. Yeah, man. Or, um, or that people put you up on. And I've learned a long time ago that that's a real bad place to be. Um, basically, because I put people on pedestals and, you know, yeah. they always let, let me down. But then when I realized they were people, it was a lot different and a lot you know, a lot less disappointing. So I, I try to, you know, tell people just expect to be disappointed, you know, don't put, don't let people, you know, nobody's got it together. You know, it's, we just create these scenarios in our head of what it is. And, right. You know, so one of the things that we're, we're always really curious about is, is I think we've really tapped into this, this, huge contingency of people who are in similar places in life, maybe different ends of the path, you know, or or whatever you want to call it. But, um, a lot of them are younger. There's, you know, some older folks too, but there's a lot of youth out there who seem to be really hungry for something different, something that the established system isn't providing. Um, and, and there are studies out there that we've read that, that show that, at this next generation just does not give a shit about denominations or like a whole host of other uh, things that come along with tradition. And they seem to be just hungering for real experience, real authenticity. You know, somebody who's not going to lie to them, someone who's not going to hand them this, this force fed package deal that says, all right, here's, here's the pre-approved message. Here are the pre-approved things that you have to believe. And if you don't believe them, then you're going to hell and all that stuff. There, it's very clear and very obvious, or we wouldn't have a podcast that they're just not okay with that anymore. And I feel like you kind of tapped into that a long time ago. If and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading somewhere I thought that that you had started way back when meeting with people in like pubs and bars. Yeah, and and to me that just it feels like that's where Jesus would have been, right? Like, well, it definitely felt that way at the time when I was doing it. You know, I mean. People had questions too back then. I mean, the questions have just gotten bigger. 
like yeah. you said before, I mean, that's why you're deconstructionist deconstruction is a good word because it's actually has valuable meaning right now. Mm. Um, and so many people are doing it. Um, you know, but people back then were, were asking questions like, why does God hate me? Or does God not, you know, I was very, I could really relate a lot to that. Um, but, but now I can also relate to what is God or where is God? Is there a God? I can relate to that too. Cause I have a lot, a lot of doubt myself and I'm driven for some reason to talk about this concept of grace and acceptance and, and that people are accepted and loved as they are by something greater than themselves. Um, Man. you know, and seeing God as the ground of being in a way that Tillich, uh, Paul Tillich explains it is, is a little bit makes God much bigger than I can imagine, which I more comfortable with than, uh, some of the other explanations behind God. Um, God is a, mi- a great mystery to me right now, you know, and that's a weird thing being a preacher is that I'd say I know less now than I've ever known, or at least I thought I knew, you know, I thought I had some ideas and, and some things together. And now it's like, mm, yeah, it's like rebooting all over again. Yes. And, uh, it's a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's so tough, you know, but yeah, <laughs> People have big questions, and and it's so funny, you know. I we the last church I did was here, and I haven't we haven't met in over a year now. But um, we were meeting in a bar and a thing like that. And I think those are great places to meet. Um, but I have a feeling people might start meeting in churches again. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, oh, I think but, so. <laughs> but like, not giving a damn about denominations. I think that's good. I mean, um, denominations aren't bad. It's just no one can subscribe a hundred percent to a denominational belief when there's more than three people mm, right? or two people. I'm with you know, you. I don't think anybody's going to agree a hundred percent. And I don't, I don't think it's fair or right to get them to that. And there's so many different explanations and ideas and theologies behind every thought and idea of faith that uh, the more people seek, they're going to find that there are more questions. So there's going to have to be this ability to live in, in doubt, live in the end. I mean, because Tillich, Paul Tillich said that uh, doubt is not the opposite of faith, but it's a part of faith. Yeah, right. It's an element of faith. Right. And um, so we have to hold on to that. You know, um, was it Pete who did the thing like addicted to certainty or something or the addiction to certainty? I can't remember. There's somebody had something where it was the subtitle was an addiction to certainty. Oh yeah. I think, uh, the idolatry of God, that was the sub- yeah. subtitle yeah. of his book. Yeah. So, you know, we have become addicted to certainty and, um, that's just not there anymore to any, you know, once you start to really study and seek, deeper questions and read some of the greater great minds and people there, there is a lot of uncertainty Mm. and, and that's okay. Um, but there are things we can be certain about and that's treating people right, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Um, you know, quality, um, safe people being, you know, safe, like, like as far as be able to walk to the car because someone's a different color, it shouldn't matter that they can't walk safely out to their car without worried about being killed, um, which we see a lot in this country right now of, of, of a lot of racism and uh, yeah, 
So those are things that are, are should be no brainers for us, and those are things that we can work towards and say these are these are wrong. This is this is evil. This is bad. Um, but I think God may become a bigger question mark, a bigger, a less. It's just you. Yeah, letting go of certainty is such a hard thing to do because, in so many ways, there's times that I look back and go, "Man, it was a lot easier when I thought I had this stuff figured out." You know? Yeah, when I, man. So, oh, I've said that. <laughs> yeah, I've said that so many times. Oh, this was so much easier when I just kind of subscribed to the Gospel Coalition stuff and just knew who was in and who was out and yeah. felt really good about myself. And that was awesome. I, I, On the record, I totally missed that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it was, there was a feeling of peace. Oh. You know? Like, oh. you know, and that's gone now. And uh, <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I don't know, you know, that's, I think, the hardest part for me is like, Every week now, I still do a sermon every week, you know, and it's like, I, don't, I honestly don't know what it's going to be from, from week to week because going back to school, having conversations with people like Tony Jones or Pete Rollins or, um, you know, even just my friend Brian, other folks around, you know, just having these, we have conversations and you go like, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to like, I should have learned a trade because there's no way I can continue to do this because I'm so clueless <laughs> and people are afraid of that. But I've, uh, I've tried to take people uh, for me and what I would encourage other people to do who might feel kind of lost in this world right now. Uh, the new Moby album is really good and talks a lot about that. I recommend that. Um, but um, <laughs> feel, feel kind of like you don't, you know, fit in is just learn to be transparent. Um, if you can learn to live in the now and somewhat be transparent with your life. And uh, it's helped me to talk a lot about my mental health and my own struggles with that. You know, I had a really tough year uh, this past year. Yeah, this past year, the past few months have been good, but before then I was having a really tough time with my mental health and getting the right medication and things like that. And, mm. um, being honest about where I was at with that and being honest about how I felt like, you know, was God in a pill, you know, like I felt like I'd lost God and why, you know, me and God are good when the pills, right. You know, and wow. yeah. about that kind of stuff, uh, helped me a lot just to feel that, feel the ground of being mm. and to feel the ultimate, you know, feel an ultimate purpose. Um, so just having to get used to that, uh, foundation seems to not always be solid and that's the tough one to get used to. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I oh, man. did an episode actually on, on mental health earlier this year. Uh, and, and I, I struggle with the same issues and I'll tell you what, like must've been the year. I don't know. I, I also, uh, was struggling and it was, uh, ironically right between two weeks where we were doing a massive amount of interviews. So, oh wow. Yeah. So hell week, but no, yeah, that wasn't technically hell week. October, <laughs> October was hell, hell month. Yeah. Hell month over here. <laughs> oh, but well, Nice. Well, it's good that you guys are having hell month. Yeah. yeah. We had hell month, man. It was fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. <laughs> but I mean, that's, you know, to be able to continue to work. I mean, that's kind of the great thing about, I guess our society today too, is 
those things being a little bit less taboo. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, that, and that we're going to make them less taboo. If, 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 if someone's <laughs> not, we're going to. And, uh, absolutely. You know, I can imagine talking about that 10 years ago in the church, you know, um, or 12, 13 years ago, uh, cause people had unrealistic expectations, but now being able to be a human being and say, I don't know, or I have uncertainty or mm, yeah. I don't know if I believe in God or today I don't believe in God. And people go, what? You know, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a problem. Yeah. It's just, I just, I, I, I think I wish people would have been more transparent and honest with me as a kid. You know, I think I wish that I would have seen more of that in the church. Yeah. Um, even in still in some things that I read, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I want to see the darkness and hear the darkness and, and, and be a part of the darkness because life can be a really dark place. And it seems really dark right now. And, uh, I think it might be the thing that keeps people curious about theology right now. I agree. The yeah. Darks that we're in and, um, might make the church somewhat relevant if we can take the place of being the, as, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, we're often, the church is too often the taillight rather than the headlight. Oh man. Oh Wow. And if we can take the position as the headlight in this time, uh, you know, of, of what seems to be extremely dark times, um, maybe we can uh, be relevant again. I couldn't agree I more. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope you're right. I, I don't want to be an opportunist. You know, I, I don't like that. I'd uh, no. to have been my job to be a lot different and... Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And so now we have to kind of move forward with where we're at. Yeah. It's yeah. like we, w- we wish we didn't have to have this podcast. We wish there weren't millions of people out there that didn't feel like they couldn't ask questions and have conversations and, and wonder what it's like to be fully accepted and embraced by a community that just wants them to be honest about where they are and who they are. And uh, we wish we didn't have to do that. But you know what? I'm really freaking glad that we get to do that at the yeah. same time. So it's like, what, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, and that's a good thing. Creating a place where people can feel comfortable about growing in their faith or growing out of their faith, I think is a part of the being part of the community Yeah. and what, what it, what it were meant to be. And so that's what I've like, I've, I've told people like often revolution is a place where people come and leave faith and, Sometimes they go into faith, but I'd rather them be able to go out in a way where they're more comfortable and are able to ask questions rather than just leave and say, well, they're all a bunch of bastards or, right. you know, yeah. this stuff is just a bunch of, you know, fairy tales, um, which anybody could come to that conclusion, you know, but um, I like the chance to at least have the conversations and, and provide a place where there's not judgment. And uh, that's real tough. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, we want to be conscious of your time and, and, uh, man, we, we really appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun and, and well, well worth thanks, the way. So I'm hopefully I didn't babble too much. No, not at all. Dude, you got a spot here. Anytime you want to riff about something, man. Absolutely. You, you, got, you got good stuff to say. 
Well, before yeah. we before we let you go, and uh, um, why don't we uh, leave people with uh, where to go to find your your work? You know, keep up on top of uh, what you're up to, and hopefully, we can sell at least two more copies of that book that you said that bombed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that book that bombed was Faith and Doubt. There we go. You mean this one right here? Yeah. Booyah! <laughs> if I could redo that book, it would be Faith, Amber, Sand, and Doubt. But it's just Faith, Doubt, and then that's the one with In Other Lines I've Crossed, Walking with the Unknown God. It's like three titles. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've ever admitted this on publicly. <laughs> that Pete Rollins came up with all three of those titles. Oh, yes! <laughs> and, uh, and they used all three of them. He got them from Rob Bell, man. Yeah. I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe Faith and Doubt might have been me. I don't know because I have a tattoo to my hands. But um, You got but, it afterwards. We all know that that was afterwards. Yeah, I, I think so. It probably was too. I, don't even, I can't even tell you what time is anymore. Um, but, yeah, that book, uh, Faith, Doubt, if you want to, you know, you could probably get it for like 90 cents on Amazon. So do that if there's two people out there who are curious. Definitely do um, that. You can go to revolutionchurch.com. Um, we just have a Tumblr page right now, but you can listen to all of our services there for free. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which Instagram seems to be my favorite place right now. Yep, mine too. <laughs> uh, yeah, just as Jay Baker, two Ks. That's the only difference is uh, I have two Ks in my last name. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. And, uh, you can find stuff through there. Awesome, man. Perfect. And, I, oh, and I'm getting ready to do some, st- uh, f- uh, I'm going to be out in Belfast and. and oh, some- you're doing stuff at Pete Rollins. Uh, the wake, wake, wake. Well, no, it's not wake. Oh, it's actually called tortured grace and it's December 19th. Oh, before uh, wake. Okay. Yeah, it's before Wake. I'm going out to Belfast, and Pete put it together, but it's just me speaking. Dude, that is awesome. That's really I'll be cool. talking about some of the stuff we talked about here, about my family, and about what it's like to be a father and deal with the issues of my father being so different. Oh, man, that's good stuff. We'll share We'll share that on social media. and Yeah, please do. Yeah. Oh, um, we will, for sure. Video for Pete. So, um, yeah, but so, yeah, we'll be doing, I'm doing that, and uh, I speak. So if you want to have me come speak. Definitely. Perfect. I can do that too. By, I mean, I, you can find me anywhere through revolutionchurch.com or through my Facebook or something. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. We'll this definitely awesome. do this again real soon for sure. So okay. This is costing us our friendship with Pete, so you know we love you. Yeah, so now you got to yes, come on thanks. where he would have been on. you got to fill in for him now. So. Uh, so that's like, what, 20 episodes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you have to do it in his accent. That's the deal. Okay, I'll yeah. definitely do it in his accent. <laughs> Man, Thanks so much, Jay. This was a blast, Jay. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, man. Will do. It's important. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Take care. Yep. Catch you next time. You'll improve, I'll improve. Look how soon my arms won't move. Oh, 60 feet, my feet won't
right. That was fun. As if it, ne- you know, it's not always fun. Come on. I love hanging out with Jay Baker. I know. I love hanging out with Jay Baker. We left the video on for that one too, so we could see his cool hat. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. That really was like a hangout. It was like it was like afternoon tea with Jay Baker. <laughs> and and funny because that was the beginning of uh, what I like to call our series on uh, video interviews with people who we've interviewed for so long that we've literally watched the sun go down in the oh, background. Yeah, that was fun. So then all of a sudden it's just Jay in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know. Much like Pete, Pete Rollins in the, in the dark when, when that happened last time. I know I said it on the intro, but it's just, it's just so good to be around people. And I hope this place fosters the environment where more people become like this, where I become more like this, where you become more like this, where there's just not an air of um, I need to be anything other than what I am right now. It's just like figuring it out, like very inclusive, very loving, very just open and just, uh, you can say what you need to say and you can just be real, be yourself. This is where I'm at. Yeah. I am who I am and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's the, that's the vibe I get from him. Um, Absolutely. Even, even louder than anything, you know, he, he says propositionally, it's just, I think that's the important part about his work. Yeah. And he does have a really sweet hat collection. <laughs> yeah, he does. Did he show us his toy room too? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I wish we could get it. I don't know if the video recorded on this or not, because we might be able to get like a screenshot of that and ask Jay if we can put it up. It was pretty epic. It'd be a nice little Easter egg. I know. For everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Jay's toy room. (laughs) What a cool guy. Uh, Everybody wants one. That's what it comes down to. Basically. (laughs) Basically. We did did have to break up with Pete Rollins in order to have this conversation, though. That's true. That was the one condition. uh, When we first reached out to Jay, he said, okay, I'll I'll do your podcast on one condition. You never talk to Pete Rollins again. We were so, like, okay, done. Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> did, did we ever get him? Because we all right. So we did this interview a long time ago, and our condition was sure um, we can do that, but only if you bring your best Pete Rollins impression. He hasn't done it yet. Oh, boo! All right, no. We're gonna hold this episode hostage until he does it. We should. Man, we'll release it. You, you bring your Rollins impression. You know what you got to do. You know the other cool thing about this too, because I know this is probably true for every guest, but. I can't wait to have Jay Baker back on someday because somebody like him that's learning all this new stuff, like he's going to be a completely different person if we interview him in like a year. You know, he's reading like Tillich now. He's like into all these ideas. He's like bursting at the seams with all this excitement. And it's just like, yeah, I wonder what that conversation would sound like if we had it like a year from now. Yeah. He's just, that's, that's so cool. That's like, I don't know. That's probably how we should look at everybody. Like we're all in process, but yeah. Yeah. I'm just rambling now. No, I love it, man. That interview speaks for itself. That was just a great conversation. <laughs> well, I actually know the band this week. Uh, so we have a band that um, has been around for a while uh, who I really enjoy. Uh, talk about a, a, a band that's gone full circle and evolved over time. Uh, Me Without You. Oh, my gosh, yes. So like went from like kind of like heavier, kind of like louder kind of stuff to like really out there, cool acoustic music. Yeah. Um, so talk about, you know, a band that kind of fits the, uh, the episode. Um, so some of the songs that, uh, that are off their, uh, most recent album, um, I don't have the name in front of me, unfortunately, but, uh, you can check our show notes and as usual, we will, uh, put them on our, uh, Spotify playlist. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll put that link out again so people can find it. Um, but feel free to, to join along, follow our, our Spotify playlist and we update that every week, uh, yep. depending on. Who the artist is so absolutely yeah good fun stuff. times man as yeah. always this is yeah. a long time coming jay freaking baker yep 
Well, until next week, everybody, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. I'm John Williamson. Keep at it, everyone. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.